The views and opinions expressed by any hosts or guests of WJMS Radio do not reflect the beliefs of its owners or associates. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to WJMS Radio or the show hosts whose words, advice, and or opinions appear from or on our website or on air. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Are we on the air? You're listening to WJMSRadio.com. Jam. This chick is a sick individual. You're tuned in to Sound Off with your girl Jams right here on WJMSRadio.com. There is no competition. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Sound Off right here on WJMS Radio. This is your girl, Jams. I am so excited to be with you guys today. I have a super wonderful show for you guys, and man, am I excited to talk to this guest. I got some questions. I got a pen and paper ready. I am ready to take all kinds of notes. Before we get into the show for today, I have some announcements, of course. I want to thank the folks behind the scenes that make WJMS Radio and Sound Off possible. Thank you guys for all the hard work that you do. You can always follow us on social media. We are at WJMS Radio on Facebook, Instagram. Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter. We've also got a little bit of video content up on YouTube if you want to check us out. Uh, be sure to subscribe to our channel as well and share. It all means a whole lot to us. I want to thank the folks, too, who are interning with us this semester. Definitely appreciate all of you guys. The work that you guys do helps me tremendously, so I want to give you guys a special shout-out. Um, and, of course, if you want to engage with us during the show, you can reach out to us on any of our social media handles, definitely here on Get Vocal as well, where we are broadcasting live. We are simulcasting this broadcast on my personal YouTube or the radio station YouTube, my personal Facebook and the radio station Facebook. So we're all over the place. So just make sure you get locked in and tuned in however way you can. We're also, of course, streaming live on the radio station itself. So make sure you listen there as well. But I want to get into the show for today. My special guest who came to me through you know, six degrees of separation, um, which is interesting. Like my friend Stan seems to hook me up with so many great people. Um, Stan is just a really, truly wonderful friend to have. Like he's just so genuine and he always, he's always looking out. Um, So a good friend of mine reached out to me and told me about this young lady here who I read her blog and her, everything that she's got going on. And I was like, oh, I got questions. (laughs) We need to get her on air right now. So my special guest for today is Daniel Desir, and she is an author, speaker, podcaster, and she's the founder of The Thought Card, which is an award-winning affordable travel finance blog put a pin in that. We're coming back to that later. Um, She's also got a podcast that empowers people to make informed financial decisions, travel more, pay off debt, and build wealth. All things that we are interested in doing as millennials. She's paid off, get this guy, $63,000 in student loan debt in four years, and she purchased her first home at the age of 27. What? Like, that's absolutely insane. She's traveled to 26 countries on three different continents, and she strongly believes in not letting your financial responsibilities hold you back from pursuing your dreams. Um, She recently published an Iceland travel guide. That's how many times she's been to Iceland, ladies and gentlemen. She can actually make a travel guide for you. Um, But it's titled Nature, Nurture, and Adventure to help travelers plan an affordable, adventurous, and culturally enriching trip to Iceland. So I'm excited to bring her on the show and talk about All of these things that I just mentioned and more, because I know if you're like me, you got questions. I have tons of them. So, Danielle, welcome to the show. Good afternoon. And how are you doing today? I'm good, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm like still pumped. Travel and money is always like my favorite topic. Heck yes. (laughs) Mine too. I was like, oh, I got to talk to this girl. Like I was looking at the (laughs) blog and I'm looking at all the crazy places you've been and I'm like, what? Like, this is insane. So, and I was looking at the budgets that you put together for it and how you actually pulled it off. And I am like impressed, super impressed. But before we get into all that, because there's tons to unpack in that, why don't you give the audience a little bit more of a bio of like who you are, where you came from? I kind of gave them a little bit of the the top level. So why don't you dig a little deeper and give them a little more background on you? Sure. So I'm Danielle Desir. I'm a travel finance strategist, and I really focus on how do you afford to travel while maintaining all your other financial responsibilities. I started traveling at a really young age. I would go to Haiti every summer to spend time with my family. Um, But at a certain age, when you become a teenager, it kind of became uncool. You know, you rather go to the mall, hang out. So I kind of like tossed travel away for a while until in college, I started to get like fear of missing out because all my friends were going to spring break and doing all these like lavish trips together. And I couldn't afford it. So I really did my 360 turnaround. I said, you know what, when I graduate college and 
I have the funds, I'm going to make this one of my financial priorities. But unfortunately, it has stood alone. So I had to be creative and figure out how do I travel while maintaining all of my other financial goals and responsibilities. Yes, definitely. And that's, I mean, that's one of the things that we all kind of struggle with is this idea that, you know, there's the big, huge world out there and you really want to see it. But like, there's that whole, I can't afford it right now, or I have bills to pay, or I can't do this, I can't do that. You know, it's, it's kind of, it's daunting, especially in this day and age, given how expensive college is and how much student loans students actually take out. And then you look at where you are once you graduate school and you're like, I can't afford to I'm not leave fair. the state. Exactly. Like, yeah. I can barely afford to leave my house, let alone the country. Like, this is ridiculous. Um, so in school, like, what did you what did you actually go to school for? Where did you go to school? All that kind of stuff. What was your major? Um, give us the breakdown of the alma mater and where you went. Sure. So I went to Manhattan College in actually Riverdale, New York. It's in the Bronx, really. So it's really close to the Bronx. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually was a pre-med. So I wanted to become a doctor, I had thoughts of becoming a doctor for my whole life. But my mom said to me, you know what, just in case it doesn't happen, you need a backup safety net and you need to have a degree that pays the bills. So I was the one person, I think, in the world, maybe, who was pre-med, wanted to go to medical school, but also had a finance degree. So I graduated with a bachelor's in finance, and my internships were in the healthcare sector. And from my internships, I realized, you know what, I really like healthcare mm-hmm. administration. So I got my master's in healthcare administration after that. So that's where the $63,000 came. About 20000 was from undergrad, and then the rest was from grad school. And uh, voila, I'm not a doctor. (laughs) So mom was right. And I am a healthcare administrator now at a medical school. Um, So it just kind of worked in its favor. Um, In terms of like, why finance? Like, my family, like my mom's an accountant, my dad's an accountant. So money was always talked about in the household. And I just thought, you know what, like, it's good to know the money behind businesses and how that all works. So that's the reason behind my, my degrees. And I'm actually using it today. So which is really helpful. Well, first of all, congratulations on that, because there's not a lot of us actually using our degrees that we went to school with. So you know, we are a few of the few that actually got degrees in our fields, um, and are actually working in that same field once we got the degree. So and that's a shame, to be honest with you. But conversation for a different day, of course. Um, so in terms of your your paying off the 63000 I think, of course, your finance degree had a little bit of, gave you a little bit of a boost up in that because you knew what to do. But can you walk us through a little bit of what it was like paying off that 63000 Did you pay it while you were in school or did you wait until you were finished and until everything was wrapped up? Like, how did you go about paying off the 63000 yeah. So in grad school, I had a job as like a junior accountant and I figured that, you know what, I'll start paying off some of my loans because I was in grace period. Mm-hmm. So I say, if you have student loans and you're in grace period where you don't have to make payments, that's actually the best time to start paying off your student loan debt. Because if you lapse out of the grace period, then you start getting hit with interest on your unsubsidized loans. So when my interest hit, like when I started to pay my loans. I think it was like 60,000 originally, but with the interest, it was 63. So that was my starting off point. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is a lot. And at the time I didn't have a job. I was like searching. It's so funny because I was looking for managerial jobs at the time because I was like, I just have my master's. I'm a man. I could be a manager. No real life. I had to realize like, okay, like you have to start off in the entry level job. So it took me a little while to find a job. But in the meantime, I figured out like, how much am I really paying per day on my student loans? And that was called like the interest rate per day interest rate. Mm -hmm. And when I did the math and calculated, I was paying $10 and 10 cents a day, a day. And that really upset me. I was like, I'm not even making $10 a day. And I'm have to pay, you know, Great Lakes. And I just felt like I got swindled. I didn't know, like, I didn't know all these things when I signed the paper and the dotted line, even though I had scholarships. um, It just didn't cover everything. So $10.10 a day was really like that number that I would use to track my progress over time. So I would say, if you do want to pay for debt, figure out what, how much you're paying per day and use that number as a tracker. And if it makes you upset, great, you know, use that as a fuel to fuel your fire. So over time, I saw it go from 10.10 to 9.10 to 8.10 to 7.10 to 5. And, and it was just a great feeling to know how far I've come from that. Oof. Yeah. And I mean, 
So when you're paying the, I guess financially, if you're paying the ten ten, like were you just like okay, so I need to be paying ten dollars a day into this thing? Were you like okay, let me round it up and pay seventy dollars and seventy cents at the end of the week and make sure that I like? How are you using that to track progress? Because obviously it added into your calculations, right? So when your student loan bill comes in, a portion of it is just the interest, and a portion of it is principal. More than likely, when you run the numbers, you'll figure out that your interest makes the bulk of your payments. So my 10, 10 a day is what I had to pay down for me to be in a neutral playing field. I'm not even dipping into my original principal balance. So if I really wanted to pay off my student loans, I would have to do like 15 a day, 20 a day, 30 a day to really go above and beyond the interest payments. So most likely if you're just doing the minimum payment, you're not making strides, which is why people end up being like five years later, you haven't done much because you're just paying interest. So that's that's how I use my 1010 <laughs> as a calculator. And you okay, if I'm 1010, I'm going to go way more above that. And that helped me to really, really make progress quickly. So I'm taking notes. I don't know if you yeah. can tell me, I'm taking it. I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think people talk about that. Like they it's don't. not something people talk about, but that is like, that's really the basis of paying off your debt sooner is knowing how much you owe and then going above and beyond that. It's it's funny because I think I saw, I mean, I've seen a, a couple things to to go off what you just said. Number one is I've been out of school now for several years and nobody has ever broken down the interest calculation to me in that way. And that just made so much more sense. Like literally when I get off the the conversation with you, I'm going to be like, okay, it's time to calculate this because it's like, it's ridiculous. And I've seen statuses online. It was, I think it was a trending tweet or something or BuzzFeed article that was like, you know, students tell their real life horror stories of student loan debt. And there was this one person who was like, I started off with a $38,000 balance over however many years I've paid, you know, $23,000 on that debt. And my current balance is $34,000. And it was just like, what? I was like, oh my God. Like, that's the type of stuff that just be like, you know what? Bankruptcy. Like, forget it. Like, what? There, You just feel like you can't win. And I feel like, honestly, the reason people feel that way is because of simple, basic information like you just gave. Nobody's ever broken it down like that. Like, if you had just said to me 10 years ago, this is what your daily interest rate is, I'd be like, all right, bet. So every week I'm gonna make sure I'm paying, or every month I'm gonna make sure I'm paying the interest, the daily interest over and above my principal amount to make sure that I'm hitting, you know, where I need to be hitting. And it's, I might even be where you're at today. Like, where were you like 10 years ago? (laughs) You can make moves now. You can make moves, you know, like it's so important to know your numbers. Like it's so important and use those numbers to track your progress and to fuel, you know, you actually accomplishing those goals. Because I mean, you know, $63,000 is arbitrary, but like when you go to nitty gritty, it becomes so much more attainable. Can I do 10, 10 a day? Okay, I can't. So let's do that. But when you say, "Can I do sixty three thousand?" You're like, "Whoa!" And yeah. then you're out of the race. You know? So. Yeah. It's the same thing as like you know when I for, when you first start changing your diet and they're like, "Drink more water." It's like, "Well, you need to drink sixty four ounces a day." If you get the jug that's all sixty four ounces at once, you're looking at that like, "There's no way I'm going to be able to drink this much water in a day." But if you get little bottles and you take it chunk by chunk, you're like, "Oh, I can totally drink eight small bottles." And it's the same thing. It's just the way you look at it. And people, exactly. I think they don't realize that you know. And it's that's the crazy part about it. And what's scary is that what you just said isn't even like that monumentally crazy or like scientific. It's literally like pretty much common sense, to be honest with you. You know, knowing your numbers is common sense. And uh, unfortunately, it just it goes along with the education thing. Like, I feel like when you're in school, they don't teach you that, you know, in high school, there needs to be a like how to survive college class where they say, hey, when you take out your student loans, this is what you need to consider. This is what you need to do. You need to fight for scholarships. You need to be looking for grants. Like, it's crazy. They don't tell you like the difference between subsidized and unsubsidized. They just don't. And students go off into college totally blind to how this all works. And then they come out of college. Like even my own personal story. I remember graduating from Arcadia and going in excited senior year about to be out, like about to be an adult, you know, like ready to, to millie rock on everybody and just be cool. And I go into my exit interview with my counselor and they're like, okay, you've got seven loans through Sally Mae. And I was like, what? since when? <laughs> I know, right? Like what? <laughs> you need to double check and make sure that was me that took those out. I think there's some fraud on my account. Like it was crazy. But at the, the crazy part is I can tell you 
100% transparently, 100% honestly, when I was in school, I wasn't thinking about it. It was like, you got to balance. You got to balance. You got to pay this balance. If you want to get your books, if you want to register for next semester, you got to get your balance down. And it just became this rat race of like, okay, well, who can I take money from? Who can I take money from? And like, there was never that thought in my mind, like, whoa, you're going to have seven loans with Sally Mae by the time you graduate, you know? So then it was kind of like this big smack in the face that like, you know, it was like this bittersweet thing where like you're graduating from college and you're like, oh, <laughs> you know, like I'm off to fend for my and they don't play that six month mark hits on the day and they start calling like ring a ring. <laughs> How you doing? Remember when you took that money out for school? We gonna need that back. And you're like, yeah, I don't even have a job yet. Like, wait, they don't care. So, I mean, life is real. And I really like I really just feel like they need to put more education behind this this student loan process and these these just these things that you don't know about until you get out of school. You know, it's it's absolutely crazy. <laughs> it's it's very, very true. And I felt exactly the same way. It's like, I knew I was taking out the loans, but I'm like, I'm going to pay it one day, I think. Yeah. Like, but I mean, what happens is like, for me, when I had my student loan debt, like that was a barrier. Like yeah. I had to make a decision, like, am I going to move out or am I going to live with mom and make this decision and like pay down this debt. So again, every bill you have on top of your, you know, on top of you that just holds you back from pursuing something else. Yeah. So that's why it took me so long to get, I, like I knew I didn't want to do 10 years, but I was like, okay, if I grind out for four and this be one of my primary focuses, like let's make this happen. So that's where that came from, too. Damn, girl. Like, where were you 10 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of sacrifices that come with paying off debt. Yeah. It's draining. It's literally, you know, there are high moments. There are low moments. But in terms of, like, strategy, so the first part was figuring out how much I owed per day, which was really helpful. I used as a tracker mark. Mm -hmm. But then there were two uh, frame of thoughts that I used to pay off my debt. The first one was to have money saved on the side. Mm -hmm. um, and then I would make a large bulk payment. So let's say I would throw $3,000, $5,000, $7,000 at one time. And I wouldn't have to worry about greatly something like that. Yeah. So when I did that, I, but again, I, I, I'm very accountable. Like I said, okay, I've saved this pot of money for, um, let's say like, I want to buy a house or something like that. I saved, but I'm not using it right now, but I have to pay myself back. So I would drop this large amount and we'd see my balance get reduced, but I would pay myself back and spend that time, pay myself back. Either way you do it, either way you make larger payments or you just make payments every consistently, it still takes time. It yeah. takes time, uh, but just depends on your strategy. Do you want to do quick? make large payments, pay yourself back, or do you just want to do, you know, slow and steady wins the race. So it just depends on your strategy. Yeah. And you know, you get caught up in this, you get caught up in this idea of like, I'm going to pay myself back, but do you, you know what I mean? You like, have to, you're you always have the last to. one you pay back. You're like, I can pay myself back double next month and you never do. So I think that a lot of times it's a discipline thing for us. It's not just the fact that it takes time. It's the fact that it takes discipline. If you tell yourself you're going to take money out of you shouldn't, but you're going to take money out of your 401k to pay down whatever debt you have. And then you're going to pay that money back into the 401k because you'll have freer up. You'll have freed up your income to do so. You got to do it because at the end of the day, if you don't pay back your 401k, you're going to be living on a plastic in a, a paper box, you know, on the street when it's time to retire or even worse, you're not going to be able to retire. You're going to have to work straight through. Um, and that's that discipline that it takes to do that. So do you have any advice or any sort of best practices for getting that discipline in place and, and maintaining it or, you know, just best practices for making sure that you, you hold yourself accountable? Yeah. Automation, I would say automate it, like make a rule where it just literally goes from your paycheck to this specific bank account, um, separate it out. Don't keep it in all your other bills funds. So create separate accounts for your goals and for your important bills. So at this moment, I think I have about 12 bank accounts right now. So I have one for my mortgage. So you could have one for your rent. I have one for groceries because that seems to just vanish <laughs> really quickly. You know, like if I have any debt, I have one for my debt. So automating helps so much. So from your bank account, just have it automated out of sight, out of mind. And that really helps so that I'm not constantly having to track where is this money? Did I do what I said I was going to do? Did I save? Did I whatever? Mm, smart. I like that. Again, taking notes. It's <laughs> 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 like the perk of having a radio show and having people who are intelligent, Take smarter than you on it is like, okay, I'm getting all this free information, but like I'm educating you too at the same time. Yes. Yes. So, 
Anyway, <laughs> so I want to ask a question, and I, I mean, I don't, I don't have an answer to this. I'm wondering if you do, but like you start to see online and even just like through mail, they start mailing you all these debt consolidation companies and all of these companies that are like, we'll consolidate your debt down and we'll pay down all of your stuff and you'll only owe 30% of what your original balance was and, you know, so on and so forth. As somebody who's got a finance degree, as somebody who's paid down their debt, as someone who's kind of experienced in this realm, do you know if there's any validity to any of these? Do you have any companies that you think are actually reputable? Um, Should people stay away from debt consolidation companies? Like, what is your suggestion for those type of situations? So I personally don't have experience with debt consolidation. It's something that definitely I saw, but I was like, you know what? There's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts to paying off your debt. So I was like, I'm just going to stick to my strategy. It's going to take me this amount of time. It's going to do it. I do have friends who have done it and it's just a personal choice and you have to figure out like, does the math make sense? Are you actually going to save? So um, I would definitely like read the front and back cover before you make a, make a decision. But again, there are no shuck, there are no shortcuts. You just have to pay it off. Yeah. You know? And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, it starts to, you start to see a lot of it and you're like, maybe there's validity to this. Maybe there's, and I know that there's a lot of people and a lot of people in my circle too, who have been like, have you ever seen these debt consolidation things? Have you ever looked at these? And I'm always like, yes, but no. Like anytime I get a pink slip in the mail, I'll like open it, peek in. If it's like you've been approved for thirty eight thousand, I'm like rip in half, throw in the way. Like I don't even open the whole envelope. I'm like I don't care. Or if there's some random check for like twenty four thousand, I'm like really, like, right, right, right. Up. There's always there's always a catch, which yeah. means there's always someone has to get paid to process this. Exactly. So I would say be very very careful and just really know what you're getting into before you sign anything. And it's so just so that we're clear, the Nigerian prince in Africa who has a million dollars and just needs my bank account to transfer it because he doesn't have one. That's not legit, right? It's not not legit. No, stay away. Stay away. (laughs) I was saying those. I'm like, really? Who's falling for this? Like, and there are people that actually fall for it. That's the sad part. But yeah, Yeah. I'm I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I did see a meme um, somewhere online that was like a picture of an African prince who's like, I'm literally giving away money. Why won't anybody answer me? (laughs) In real life, right? Like, yes, I I want this money to be gone. Yeah, that's so funny. That's so funny. It cracked me up. But I was like, Ah, <laughs> I got to ask the simple questions. Um, so let's tra- let's transition a little bit and talk about the house perching situation, because that is a big thing, especially at age 27. And, you know, 27 is looking a lot more like 37, 47 for our generation in terms of buying a house just because of this debt situation. So, I mean, obviously paying off the debt that you had already was super helpful and making sure that you had funds for down payment and stuff like that. But can you walk us through some of the process of buying the house, you know, like financially, what were some of the things you had to do financially to make sure that things were in place and just some of the the background of that process for you? Right. So when I first started the debt journey, paying off my student loan debt, I had to make a big decision. Am I going to live in New York City? I work in the city, so it made sense, right? Just to be close and have lived a life. Or am I going to live at home, which is farther away? And am I going to just pay off my debt? So I decided to live at home and during that time, I said, I need to transition out of this home. Okay. So I, I need to pay off this debt and also transition out so that when I'm in my late 20s, so that I can actually be on my own and start to live my best life. So what I decided to do is I said, okay, I figured out how much house I wanted and where could I afford in my like local area or wherever I wanted to live. And from that, I figured out how much of the of a deposit I needed. And that became the goal for my my deposit. Now, there are government programs like FHA program where you can put something as low as like 3.5% or 3% down. And that helps. So you don't necessarily might not need thousands and thousands, thousands of dollars to, you know, buy a home, you might need a fraction of that. So I would say definitely look into FHA programs if you qualify, Mm -hmm. that definitely helps keep the cost down low, but also realistically knowing how much you're going to be able to pay. Because inside of a mortgage, not only do you have the principal balance, you have the interest, you have taxes, you have insurance. So the mortgage is like this, and then your bill ends up being this. So it's important to put all these things together. And there are a bunch of like mortgage calculators to help you figure that out. But in terms of my strategy, I knew that while I'm living at home, I'm going to pay off my debt, travel, and slowly, slowly save for this house. And then what I wanted to do is do a swap. 
I wanted my debt payment and my house payment to be exactly the same because I've been grinding for years paying off this student loan debt. So I know what the flow feels like to have this money taken out. So I use that as an even swap. And I was very strategic about that. So now my student loan payment is now helping me build wealth in my house by me having more equity. So that was like my 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 transition from one from debt to building wealth. Um, and the FHA program definitely helped. I didn't need thousands and thousands of dollars to put down. However, I would say it's really important to have enough money, um, especially if you're moving out of your parents' house, to have furniture. So I bought <laughs> yeah. the house. I got the keys. I was excited. I walked in and my mom's like, where's your stuff? I was like, what stuff? I don't so have I spent, exactly. <laughs> I spent a whole year slowly buying everything in my house because I never had to do that before. So not only do you need the closing costs, but think about repairs that you need that you would want to have to do in the house and also furniture. If this is your first time, I think that's important. I didn't do that. So yeah. <laughs> learn from my mistakes. It's funny. It's because like, I always had this dream, like, even I don't know if I don't know. I feel like my parents can attest to this too. I'm a weird kid. But anyway, I feel like I've always had this like weird dream to like move into a new house and like eat Chinese food on boxes. I don't know if that's been a dream or if I've just seen too many movies and I'm just that like, do that. Yes. For yes. A cliche or whatever. But that's always been kind of like my thing. Like, yeah, we don't have furniture. We're going to eat pizza on boxes. And that's cute for like the first day until you're like, I'd like to sit on a couch and like relax now, <laughs> you know? So. Yeah. And then what happened is like literally everything I wanted to buy cost thousands of dollars. Yeah. So that whole first year was like, you know, slowly and surely getting my house up to speed and, you know, creating the space that I wanted. But I didn't think about that before when I was saving up. I should have saved up for that. I could have been in a way better position, uh, but we live and learn. And I think yeah. that that's something to take away for sure. So for those folks that are moving right now and they're like, okay, well, they're in the same situation as you. We just got a house. We need furniture. You know, would you suggest doing what you did? Would you suggest waiting or would you suggest getting the scary credit card to purchase what you need and then pay off if you're financially in the place to do so? It's really, really tricky because yeah. I did the get a credit card, charge it. Like I got my fridge, I got my fridge, my dryer. And my washing machine all on a Sears credit card. And they gave me six months to pay it off. I was like, no worries. Six months. I got it. For me, that's easy. (laughs) And I did not end up paying paying it in six months. Because what happens is like, there's so many costs that you're not expecting as a homeowner. Like two years in now, I'm very familiar with what my budget looks like. But in the beginning, there's just a bunch of stuff that you're not sure. You're not, you don't know the trends of your your oil bill or your light bill or your water bill. And then you get the sewage bill. You're like, what is this? You know, there's just things that you're just not prepared for. So I would say prepare as much as possible in advance. And if you can try not to charge things because it just, and it could be messy. It could be messy. And for me, what happened is that I was charging things, paying them off and I was getting into a tight situation. So I decided to house hack. So I had two roommates living with me at one point um, last year, and that was helping to help me pay off my debt and and just like get myself together. But I think if you can do it ahead of time, you just save yourself so much less stress. Yeah, that makes sense. That definitely makes sense. And nobody wants roommates. <laughs> yeah, Especially it's, it's, it's tough. Your, I mean, yeah. definitely when the when the check came, I was like, woo. The next day, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> You know, but house hacking is a great way. There's also you do Airbnb if you like. If you just want to have like people just come and stay over for a couple of days, you can do Airbnb to to, these are all ways to generate income, Um, especially if you have spare bedrooms. I think that's just an option. Um, Not something that I don't think I would like to do again. But when the time came, it came in handy to have the extra income. That sounds, I mean, it sounds good. It definitely sounds like, I mean, Airbnb sounds good in theory, but then you think about the maintenance that goes into it. Like you got to make sure the room is well kept and you got to have the supplies and you got to have the stock and there's got to be the key and yeah. You're a host. Yeah, you're definitely a host and you're, it's all about the experience. Yeah, you know, so, and it's, we're definitely in that time and age where it's like, you know, people want to save money and stuff like that. And they want that. They're, people aren't opting to go to hotels much more anymore because it's like you want to be a tourist in the city, but you also want to experience the culture and you don't want to do the the surface level touristy things like you want to, you know, see the bodega on the corner. You know, you want to stay in the Bronx types. Not really. Nobody wants to stay in the Bronx, but you know, what I mean. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like you want the full experience. So I feel like yeah. Airbnb is, is where people go to, but there's just a lot of work that I think people don't understand that goes into Airbnb hosting. Um, 
that it's just like, not for me. <laughs> it's like, not for me. Um, but do you have any other, before we transition into travel, because I definitely want to dive into travel a lot and, and how you pulled off some of these trips, because there are so many awesome trips you've gone on. But do you have any more advice for, you know, financially for people who are looking to purchase homes or pay off debts before we transition over into the travel section? Yeah, I would just say have a separate bank account for any of these big goals that you have, like have some bank account and use that as a way to not only like save, but also track your progress. Like it's really great when you could look at a separate bank account and be like, oh, I have X amount of money in my account and I'm this much closer to my goals. So being able to see that is really important. And also I think it's really important to have check-ins with your money. So I like to have weekly check-ins and I would prefer to do it in the morning because in the morning you're fresh, you're awake. (laughs) If there's something that needs to be taken care of, you have the energy to do it. It's a really bad place when you're financially stressed and you're doing it at night and you go to sleep and you can't sleep. Like don't do it late at night, do it in the early morning, check in with your money once, uh, once a week as a way to just kind of keep track of your progress, where you're going. And don't be afraid to look at your bank account. I think it's important to know your numbers, whatever it looks like, just know your numbers and use that to, you know, move forward. Gotcha. Okay. So the best part, not necessarily the best part, but the most <laughs> exciting part One of, of the best parts. Show travel so my girl you have been to 26 countries on three different continents i don't know if you can do this off the top of your head but can you run down the countries you've been to (laughs) or some of them yeah so um we'll start off with haiti ecuador iceland three times norway sweden uk which is like england um ireland northern ireland um where else recently austria I've also been to Italy, Croatia, Mexico, and Canada, and uh, France. I mean, there, there. Yeah. I mean, if I think, if I, I think, I, I think that's we're hitting, we're hitting a lot of those. Yeah. So, I mean, Europe is is like for me the easiest place to go to. Flights are so cheap, and we can get into like cheap flights because that's like that's literally how I'm able to <laughs> afford to travel. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so those are uh, those, that's really the list and it's going to continue to grow. And um, I'm going to China later this year, which is going to be crazy and wild, but yeah. I'm really excited um, to hit some of those sites as well. So, um, I mean, obviously you've been to 26 countries. How many of the 50 States have you been to? Not that many. I feel like I've been so busy international. Um, I've been to New Orleans. I've been to Florida many times. Cali. I've been to um, Maine as well. Um, I live in Connecticut now. Um, D.C., Philly, Baltimore, um, but not that much of the states, not that much of the states. So I still have a lot to explore there as well. I've always had this dream of doing like a cross country road trip. This is this is my like ultimate. You have no financial worries someday in the far distant future and you have time and, and opportunity. But I've always wanted to like get one of the the short yellow buses. I know it's crazy to say the short yellow bus, but like get one of the short buses. An RV. Yeah, Yeah. an RV. Take out all the seats, you know, put in like comfy couches and whatever, like little mini fridge and stuff like that. Grab like a handful of my favorite people on the planet and just do like, you know, a cross country road trip and just see, because there's a path. I believe there's like a way that you can travel from one end of the United States to the other end and see a big bulk of like some of these states, you know, obviously not the major outlying ones, but like definitely you go straight across the middle or something or whatever. However you do it, you see a lot of the states. And I would love to just like throw caution to the wind someday and do that. I'm always envious of the people that are like, I took a year off from school to go backpacking through Europe. And I'm like, what's it like to be rich in America? That must be nice. (laughs) It's like never was never was an option. Um, So that's always been something that I would love and dream of doing someday. Uh, But yeah, it's there's a lot of states, you know, and there's a lot of places you can go in all of these states. So I don't blame you. I don't think I've been to I definitely haven't been to all of them. I've been to a handful, but not not nearly that many. I've probably seen more out of the state countries than I've seen in country states. Um, But I mean, it is what it is. So for all of these countries you've been to, obviously, English English isn't always the primary language that's spoken in some of these countries. So how do you get around that language barrier and like really make sure that you are, quote unquote, living your best life and not getting swindled, taken advantage of and stuff like that? Yeah, so I would definitely download Google, um, Google, sorry, Google Translate. That is a free app that really literally helps you to you can 
dictate it and or have someone dictate it and then it'll tell you exactly what the translation is. So that's super helpful. And also reading blogs. So really having a game plan of what I'm going to be doing when I'm there. Leaving room for spontaneity, I think it's important, but it's really important to know like, how am I going to get from the airport or train station to my, you know, to my accommodation, like simple things like that. You don't necessarily need to be asking people, you know, or interacting with people if you know what your route is and how that looks like. But a lot of places you'll, you'll notice that they do speak English and they'll, they're really friendly and then they'll definitely be able to help you. Um, A lot of places also have tourist information booths just randomly around the city. So definitely stop by and um, chat with them and ask them for more information. Um, But I also feel like it's really important to not let language barriers hold you back from seeing the world. I think a lot like I know my first trip to Paris, that was my first adult trip where I saved money for I booked a flight and I went and went solo. I was nervous. I was like, I don't really speak French like that. How is it? You know, but I didn't let that stop me. You're always going to find a way to communicate. Um, but being prepared, I think having an itinerary helps a lot. And then having apps like Google Translate to fill in the gaps is helpful. So uh, you just brought up another good point. Do you travel primarily solo or do you travel with a buddy? Are you married? You have Bay that travels with you. Like who is your your companion? I mean, you're saving money and you're going, you know, doing things left and right. So you probably have a very small circle of people that are able to just jump on a plane and go to Prague or whatever. But, you know, who's your. Yes, yes, Prague. Prague's on the list for sure, for sure. (laughs) So when I first started traveling, it was definitely solo. Yeah. Um, I just am from the philosophy of just going when the time Time is permitting. Like there's so many people who want to do things and who can potentially, but they're just holding back because they don't have a companion. So I was like, rip that bandaid off and just go. So yeah. I, um, I went to places like the UK alone. Um, I've also been to like Norway and Sweden solo. So I think once you start, I went to Portugal solo as well. So once you just start going solo, you end up realizing how fun it is. Like, of course, you're going to have some down moments of being maybe a little lonely um, or missing your family, but it's so great when you're out and doing it. Um, So I think that that has been, you know, that's really what spurred my, a lot of my trips were solo, but I think as people start to see me in the travel space, they're like, Danielle's not playing around. Yeah. So now when I tell my friends, I found a cheap flight, they're like, here's my Venmo app, book the flight for me and let's just go. So I travel a lot with my friends now. And then now I have Bay. So Bay is like getting into the trap. So we're going to China together, you know, (laughs) starting off with China and do things like that. So it's definitely progressed a lot over, over time, but from once in a, you know, once in a while now I do definitely book a flight and just go if the flight is good and it's a really cheap flight. So yeah, I'm not going to miss out on that. Yeah. So I've, I started traveling a little bit, probably around like my 25th birthday, my first, my first travel, real travel experience that I did, I went on a cruise and I went with my cousin. And, and like we made it sort of like this tradition where like every year because my birthday is like between Christmas and Thanksgiving, which is like off peak season for most places right. and super exactly. dirt cheap for cruises. So like we would go on cruises every single year for my birthday and it became this thing where I'm like, all right, I'd put it on Facebook or whatever. Like, all right, y'all found a cruise to such and such place on such and such date and I'm going and people would know, oh, she's about her business. She going to go like because it's always like, you know, people always throw out there. Oh, I want to go here. I want to go there. And everyone's like, oh, I want to go. I want to go. But nobody ever goes like when it comes down to it, you got like 34 people that commented on the status like we all want to go. We're all in. And then when it comes time to book, you got like maybe three or four people that are like, OK, let's go. And when it's time to actually do it, it's like one other person. And you're like, OK, what's up? Like, so like you start to establish this track record with people like, OK, she's going to go like with or without me. So I need to get my stuff together if I want to go. Um, I haven't gone on a trip solo yet. I may. I might do it. I've been starting to do you some should. things. You should. Yeah, I've, I've got to do you can do like Chicago. Chicago yeah. is a great city to go to go solo. I've been to Chicago solo several times easy like easy play like it's great to be in a big city because then you just like get like you can go to museums and go to you know just do so many different things yeah so start off with these big cities that there's you know fill your itinerary with things to do and it's just a great way to just put yourself out there and you also learn so much about yourself when you go 
solo. Yeah. Um, I think that's really important. I'm a big fan of it. I also like I, I wouldn't mind going on a trip alone, but it usually comes down to I have some some real ride or die friends and family in my circle that are like, oh, I'm going to figure out a way to make it happen. And I'm exactly. Going. So, so like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like I never have the opportunity to potentially go solo because people are like, no, no, we're going to figure it out because I want to go. So it always happens that way. But this year might be different. You know, this year, Bay is away. Um, and he won't be back until probably before Christmas. So I'm like, my birthday's coming around. I got some good juicy chunks of time off from work. I'm like, if I can find something that financially fits, you know, I'm going to probably do it with or without somebody. So like, we'll see what happens. So that brings me to my next question for you, which is what are some of your travel hacks? Like, how are you getting your cheap flights and stuff like that? When's the best time to book a flight? I hear Tuesday nights at like midnight or something like that is supposed to be like ideal. Um, Do you have any any travel hacks that you could share with us? Yeah. So first off, the Tuesday, uh, the Tuesday booking day is a myth. Like that doesn't exist. That's like old news. That's like old fake news. Um, I've read the statistic that flights change somewhere between 60 and 70 times um, throughout the course of a year. So the whole goal is to get the flight at the lowest or as it's going down. So that's really, really important. So for me, what I do is that I subscribe to various so websites that do this for a living, like they literally spend all day and all night searching, scouring the web for the best, the best flight deals. So example, secret flying, one of my favorite. And these are like, it's really important for you to subscribe to these newsletters that have a track record of actually panning out. Cause sometimes you subscribe and you, you know, you get excited. Oh my God, $200, $250 to Oslo in December. And then you go waste time looking and it's not even true. Yeah. So these are consistent sites, um, reputable sites. I really love secret flying, the flight deal.com thrifty traveler.com. They're fantastic. They have a free version newsletter or a premium version. Um, I recommend if there are services that have a free and premium version, start off with the free version so you can kind of get a taste of the kind of deals that you get and then bump up to the premium version because the premium version will have a lot of perks. They'll send you more more deals. Uh, Scott's Cheap Flight, their free version is amazing. So if you again, if you want to go with the free version, use that. Fly for free. I mean, there's a huge list of places that you can subscribe to a newsletter and get constant emails of when cheap flights pop up. And that's exactly how I've been able to go to the majority of my 26 countries is literally just following the deal. Now my travel style, because I you know, have Bay and all these other friends who like to travel, it's a little bit more strategic. I now have a place where we want to go. Yeah. But if we're open, like if you're open and flexible with dates and times, like hopping on a cheap flight is like, one of the best things to do. So from the East Coast, Europe is easy to get to. I don't pay more than $330 for a flight to Europe ever at this point, because I know that if I, you know, just wait around, I'm going to find a flight deal. And these are the sources that help with that. So there's a couple people that are reaching out to me right now. One of them, of course, being my mother, who would snatch me bald-headed if I tried, which is another reason I don't travel alone. Uh, But she mentioned uh, this the idea of it not being a great idea for females to travel alone and some safety concerns that they have. So do you have any safety tips um, for females that are traveling alone and, you know, some some best practices, I guess, if you will, for when you are on your own in a foreign country just to stay safe and stay vigilant for what's going on? Yeah. So I would say what I do is that I start my days early in the morning. So I love a good sunrise. So I'm up early six o'clock seven o'clock and I plan out my day the night before, or maybe I was really organized and have an itinerary. So I'm out early in the morning. I do my sightseeing in the morning. By the time before like dusk, I'm already back in my accommodation because guess what? I'm tired. I'm exhausted. So I'm not out there going to the bars. I'm not out there exposing myself to potentially dangerous situations. Um, I think that helps a lot. Also things that I can do is wearing a wedding band that helps and also sometimes wearing shades. So where I, when I wear my shades out, I don't, I'm not inter like I'm not having that visual contact with people, but I'm very alert of my surroundings underneath my glasses. So that's a good way for you to feel like a little bit protection. Um, but go out during the day, have a plan of what you want to do. Um, a lot of times you'll notice that taxi cabs are actually less safe than Ubers. So right now with my partner, when I do travel, he's on my Uber. So I can share with him the status of my Uber ride 
at a moment and he knows exactly where I'm going. Before I leave for every trip, my mom requires that I like <laughs> give her the hotel where I'm going to stay at. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like just give me a rundown of what, you know, how can I get a hold of you? Also, WhatsApp is um, a free service that you can use to yep. communicate with your family and friends. When I'm traveling solo, I'm constantly on my phone. I'm doing FaceTime and I'm doing like video chats with them because, again, I want them to know that I'm safe and they can see I'm sharing my travels with them in the, at, at the moment. Also for social media, if you don't want to post that you're traveling right now, you can just take all your pictures and post later. And people think I'm in Austria right now, but I'm home. I've been, you know, I've been posting about Austria. I've been in Austria like maybe like six months ago. So you don't have to post in real time, but there are lots of different things that you can do to feel safe. And after a certain time at night, you know, I'm in my hotel room. I have my bottle of wine with me. I have my glass of wine, my beer. I don't have to have that experience. Um, Cause I can do that at home. So it just really depends on, you know, what your angle is. That's good. That's actually really good. See moms who are listening, just so you know, <laughs> but yeah, my mother will probably require me to give her a detailed itinerary of where I'm going to be, who I'm going to be with and all that kind of stuff. If I was to ever travel alone. So I'm sure that that is something that she's going to want to see if that does come to fruition. Um, but let's talk about some of the places that you've been. What has been your absolute, I know people probably get this a lot, but what has been your absolute favorite place that you've been to so far? Clearly, it's probably Iceland since you've been there. Yeah, yes. But oh, yeah. gosh. So Iceland is, it gives me like butterflies because Iceland is so naturally just green and just beautiful. Literally, when you walk out of the airport, it looks like you're on Mars because it's like literally mossy lava fields. So it just looks like you're in another planet. Fresh air, you can walk behind glaciers in Iceland. Literally sheeps are, you know, crossing the street, <laughs> crossing the street while you're riding there. Um, my first time I actually touched a glacier, I was did that in Iceland. Um, I'm from the Bronx, so I always never thought I would be touching glaciers, you yeah. know, like that's not something that we do. <laughs> so, so when I saw a glacier for the first time, I was literally crying because I'm like, wow, this is what travel does. It really pushes you and you get to see different things. Um, so Iceland for sure is one of my favorite places. I've been to Iceland solo twice and once with my best friend. So I'm very familiar with Iceland. I have an Iceland travel guide that I have out now. So that's my Iceland travel guide where I detail things to do, how to save money. Because Iceland's also the one of the most expensive places in the world, which is so funny because I'm a budget conscious traveler and very financially savvy traveler, um, but it's the most expensive and I love it. So you just have to yeah. find creative ways to make it happen. Definitely. Definitely. So, and I was going to ask you about the the book that you wrote. So I know you're an author. We're going to get to that last few minutes of the show. We'll get into some of the books that you've written, but what has been one of the trips that you've been the most excited for, like the most memorable trip for you that was like, you know, the one when you say your most fondest memory of traveling, what would that one be? Wow. Um, I think I was most excited for a mom and daughter trip to Bermuda because my mom goes to cruises around also like November, early December when it's like the best time to go uh, for cheap cruises. But it was like the first time that we were doing this together and we're two adults and I could actually drink with her and like have a good time. So that was the most exciting. Um, I really also Bermuda is like definitely top three places that I love. The literally pink sand beaches, crystal blue waters, like it's super laid back and relaxing. Also very expensive. Yeah, I was going to say expensive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a trend here. I like expensive places for some reason. Oh, fancy, um, huh? <laughs> but yeah, it's it's really great when you get to travel with someone who you, who you love and who you get to share these experiences with. And the destination also just adds another layer to that as well. For sure. So, and of course, there's always a flip side to every coin. So what is your least favorite place you've been so far? And why was that not your favorite? Oh, wow. I don't think I've had a least favorite place. Okay. Yeah, I don't think, actually, let's, I'm not gonna say least favorite, but I was very surprised that in Norway, in February, the, the streets, the pavement, like, you know, the sidewalks were literally ice. Oh. So I was literally walking on ice to get to everywhere. So again, I'm from the Bronx. Like that's not like, it's just, I just don't like to be on ice. So that was a little bit hard to 
get myself out. And, but I mean, the people out there, they're so used to it. But yeah. for me, it's like, I don't think I want to go to Scandinavia in the winter. I think in the summer, yes. But in the winter, that's a lot to handle. Yeah, definitely. So I've, the furthest place I think I've been thus far is Germany. And I will say, oh, wow. It was hard going to Germany. Number one, the flight is rough. <laughs> it's a long flight, but it was like, the, the issue with Germany is that they didn't speak English. We weren't, like, we went to Germany. I went with Bay, of course. We weren't in Frankfurt. A popular, or yeah, popular The places yeah, where yeah. English would be prevalent because people go there a lot. We were, like, in Germany. So they were, like, nobody speaking English. So we got to the rest of the hotel. I tell this story because it's funny. And, like... Like, my charades game was, like, on a hundred, like, the whole trip. Because, like, every time I went to somebody, I'm like, Sprechensee English? They're like, no. And I'm like, okay. Um, And my my internet wasn't working because I was roaming. So it was like I had nothing. So I'm like, okay. So I needed a washcloth, right? So we're in the hotel. And they don't do washcloths in Germany. I guess it's like in hotels, I guess. Maybe the hotel we were in. I don't know, whatever. In any case, there wasn't any washcloths. They only had, like, regular-sized towels and massively large like hand towels and I was like all right I need to get a washcloth so I go up to the housekeeper lady and I'm like speaking the English and she's like no and I was like mm, all right so I was like okay so she had towels in her hand I'm like okay you got the big towel here I was like do you have like little teeny towels she's like hand <laughs> towel and I'm like no like smaller and she's like I don't know what she I was like forget it I'll use a loofah it's fine whatever (laughs) it's like forget it it's fine I will go to the store and then the one thing that was so I live in New York so you know I'm all you know I know the Bronx um New York is is pretty 24 hours like you can find places that are open 24 hours in Germany things are closed on Sunday if you ain't got it by Saturday that's it you got to do without till Monday I was like wow we're serious about this like there was nothing open. It was crazy. And I'm just, I'm not used to that. Like that culture of like Sunday is the day of rest. And like people were just out like with their families living their lives. And I'm like, what? People don't work. This is like, it was like permanent Chick-fil-A everywhere. It was crazy. But it was like such a culture shock. And I loved it that I couldn't, I wasn't upset about it. I was like, you know, this is kind of beautiful. So it was really yeah, cool. Yeah, for sure. And also like, that's why reading blogs, I feel like is so important when you're planning a trip is because maybe the blogs could have told you that so then you're like okay shoot I have to plan and strategize before that so that's something that I do on my blog is just like try to be as you know helpful as possible here's what I learned here's how to make your triple better than mine hopefully (laughs) Um, so that's really cool Germany is definitely on my list for sure it was pretty it was really really pretty it was so just green. There's so much history out yeah. there in Europe. It's like it's it's long, a long history. It was definitely awesome. I definitely want to go back and, and do more touristy stuff, you know, and, and see a lot more. But it was from where we were and what we saw was like it was impressive. And the Audubon is dope for the record. Like being able to drive with no speed limit was fun. <laughs> but scary. Cause I was not about that life. Like I got on the highway and I'm like, oh, I'm doing, you know, 150 kilometers per hour, which equates to like 85 in our terms. And people you're pushing, are, you're pushing it. Mm-hmm. People zooming past me like I'm doing 20 miles an hour. And I'm like, and it's not one of those places where you can be a jerk. Like in New York, if somebody rolls up on you in the fast lane, you can be like, I'm not moving. Go around me. In Germany, you move. <laughs> it's like they're going 200 kilometers per hour. They will destroy you. Like you don't wow. want to be caught in one of those like, oh, do I go over? Do I not? No, you go. You just go. So mm-hmm. it was it was definitely a culture shock and a learning experience, but I loved it and I would love to go back. Um, so do you have any other travel stories you want to tell us before we talk quickly about your podcast and also about your author, your your books that you've done? Yeah, one of the travel stories that come to mind is that my mom and I, we did another mom da- mom and daughter trip to Milan. And for some reason, we didn't have enough money. But we sat down and we ate a beautiful meal together. And at the end of the day, they're like, so it was 30 euros and we and they didn't take any cash. So we were like literally counting every single coin that we had. (laughs) Luckily, we barely made it. But again, it's super important to know, like, is is that place where you're going to accept cash? Yeah. Does it have credit card? Like what's going on? Because it could we could have been washing dishes. I don't even know in Germany. I don't even know if like in Italy you can do that. Do you wash do you go to jail? <laughs> I, we just we just we just almost I don't know if I would have made it back. But yeah. yeah, that's just super important to do as well. That's super funny. <laughs> like, well, mom's time to bust some suds because I ain't I got know. it. You ain't got it. We have to, what do you have to do? We have to we have to do. Hey, it is what it is. So we got about seven or eight minutes left in the show. Uh give us a little bit of information on your podcast of course i'm interested in that and also let's talk a little bit about the books that you've written have you written more than just the um the travel guide to iceland is there other books that we can find from you 
Yeah. So my podcast is called The Thought Card and it's available on anywhere you listen to podcasts at the moment, Apple, Google, TuneIn, Stitcher, all of them. And it really focuses on affordable travel, paying off debt and building wealth. And my goal is to really provide you with information so that you can be on your journey and do it as quickly and efficiently as possible. So a lot of the episodes are solo, but I do invite a lot of interesting people on the show to share different perspectives. And it's a spinoff of my blog. My blog is called The Thought Card, and you could uh, find it at thoughtcard.com. And there I share my student loan journey. I share uh, tips for being a homeowner. I share destination guides, how much things actually cost when you get to different places, and just, you know, just a wealth of knowledge of just travel and money and how it all plays together. Now, I only have one book out right now. Um, I am working on my uh, my next book, but my Iceland travel guide came about because I had so many articles on Iceland on my on my blog. And I said, you know what, let's compile everything together and let's really, really share. Let's share like how to make a trip to Iceland like the most epic trip as possible. And um, in the book, I also detail about like how to save money. Like, for example, you can literally go anywhere in Iceland and drink the water, go to the waterfall and drink water right there. So things like that, I think is really important. Um, and I'm hoping to do more travel guides in the future. Uh, but in uh, the near future, I just want to do a, a, a short little book about how to save money for travel. I think that's an important topic to talk about. We talked about it in detail here. So that will be my next book. Um, but Iceland Nature Nurture Adventure is available on Amazon at the moment. Awesome. Anything else that you want to share with our listeners today on any of the endeavors that you're involved in that you want to, you know, give a shout out to or anything like that? Yeah. So a quick shout out to WOC podcasters. So I'm the founder of women of color podcasters. It's a community of over 2000 women of color from over 50 countries around the world right now. So it's an amazing community. That's really what gave me the legs to start my own podcast is having a bunch of women who look like me and who are providing a lot of resources and things like that. So we have a blog. It's, uh, it's WOCpodcasters.co. We're also on Instagram at WOC podcasters. And um, I think it's just important. Like if, if you want to talk podcasting in the future, like definitely something, I love it. It's a great platform, very um, intimate platform to connect with you and your guests and all of the other things like that. Oh, oh, I've taken. I don't think you knew that. So I'm taking (laughs) notes. As soon as you said that, I was like, oh, really? (laughs) It's like, yeah, definitely putting a pin in that for later. We will chat offline for sure. Um, And where can people find you and follow you if they want to check out your blog, if they want to find you or follow you personally? Where can they uh, find you? Sure. So on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest, I'm at the thought card and also my podcast again is the thought card podcast on your favorite player and if you have any questions the thought card gmail.com feel free to reach out to me i have a newsletter and my blog thoughtcard.com is uh, a great resource as well and yeah those are all the places where you can connect with me all right sounds good well danielle Oh my goodness, this has been such a great episode. <laughs> Thank you so much. Like, I'm definitely gonna be taking all of these tips and putting them into action and be like, Danielle, guess where I'm at? <laughs> um, Please so, tag me. Yes, yeah, pin me, sure. pin me. <laughs> for sure. We're connecting on social media, so we'll definitely tag you in all of our adventures. But I appreciate you taking the time today to talk to us and to to give us some of your secrets and some of your best practices for traveling and financial planning. Um, I hope everybody was taking notes and uh, making some notes on what you need to do for yourself. I know I was over here, so I'm always appreciative when somebody can you know sort of educate me and and turn my turn my sights to things I didn't know to look at before so I appreciate that 100% um yeah I just I just have to thank you so thank you again appreciate it Jamie thank you thank you so much this was a really fun conversation definitely definitely and folks I'll be back again with another brand new episode of sound off next week next week we are bringing on the military child of the year from the uh, operation home front organization it's definitely an awesome 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 program that we're going to be talking and spotlighting so make sure you come back next Saturday at 12 p.m. special shout out and again thanks to Danielle for being with me today shout out to the folks that tuned in and listened to the folks that commented and left me comments to read on air I appreciate you guys to all the folks that listen and make sound off possible i appreciate all your hard work again i'll be back next week with a brand new episode until then everybody stay safe and travel well thanks to danielle and all of her tips and we'll see you next time on wjms radio
It's your birthday, go shorty. I'm so proud of you. Head high, you was in a nobody. Go shorty. It's your birthday. Got that ice cream. It's your birthday, go shorty. I'm so proud of you. Black woman, you was in a nobody. Uh, black bands, it's black fans. Black bag full of old white bands. Old queen with your whole my hand with you. Show me a little black girl. Black bands, it's black fancy. Black bag full of old white men is a whole queen with your old mic hand with you. Show me a little black girl magic. Thanks for listening. Tune in 24-7 at WJMSRadio.com.